my friends and family didn't care about cake decorating. Like I needed someone to talk to about that. So, yeah, Facebook groups were not a thing and I thought, oh, I'm going to start one. The other one shut down, I'm going to start my own. And so I did. I started the page, Australian Cake Decorating Network page. It wasn't a group at that time. Started the page and I just remember waking up and there'd be 10,000 new followers a day. Like it was crazy. One day I had an idea and I still don't let my husband live this one down. I said to him, I want to do a cake camp. Like I think that would be really fun. And he's like, cake camp, who would want to go on a cake camp? No one's going to want to go on that. At that fork in the road where I had to decide what I was going to do. And at the same time, my husband and I packed up the house and the kids and bought a caravan and went around Australia for 12 months. And that was awesome. Hey guys, I have a question for you. Do you find yourself working long hours with very little profit? Are you struggling with all the non-baking aspects of your cake business? You know, things like finances, admin, customer communication, marketing. If you've answered yes to these questions, you need to check out our new ebook collection available at www.olba.shop. We have six ebooks. One of them is totally free to download. It's called The Five Ways to Grow Your Cake Business in 2024. These books are filled with all kinds of information written just for you to help you, empower you, and let you succeed. So go take a look. Anyway, let's get back to the show. It's funny how ideas come into your head. For Liz, this was feeding her twins when they were nine months old at two in the morning. That was 13 years ago. Liz and her team run the Australian Cake Decorating Network, a diverse community of members who go on cake crawls, cake camps, they have annual award ceremonies, and they generally just support each other through thick and thin in this industry. I mean, it's amazing. Liz was a baker herself, but also she's a trained occupational therapist. She's had to juggle a lot, the two careers, figuring out what she was going to do as a baker and figuring out how to support other people who are struggling with their baking journeys themselves. But she found a way through it all. And she sits with us from her office to walk us through all the ups and downs that came along the way. And let me tell you, there's quite a few. She is a total inspiration and we really think you'll enjoy this one. And here we go. Thank you, Liz, for joining us today on My Baking Journey. I think there's a theme between what you've been doing for the best part of more than a decade now and for what we're trying to create with this podcast. And that theme really comes down to community. And I really feel like you've you've tapped into something so long ago that most bakers just didn't have any support, any community. And we're going to get into a lot of that as we discuss. But I like to go way back because it's just nice to get more of an understanding about you and who you are. And I know that you've been in a household with a cake maker. Your mother was uh, creating wedding cakes at an early age for you. You're a creative. Obviously, you had a cake business for a while. Did your creativity come in the form of baking or were you singing, dancing, drawing, artist? Definitely not singing. I think I'd break a window and definitely not dancing. (laughs) No, more creative in terms of sewing, painting, cooking, baking. That's sort of the creative fields that I have always had an interest in. 
a few family members who are artists. And I think, yeah, I've always enjoyed painting. I'm not very good at it, but I did love that, just taking it into the edible space, the edible mediums. has always been my interest, I would say, in the creative. Love baking anything. So in your household, have you got uh, lots of siblings that you worked with and did a lot of this? Was it like a whole creative household in that environment with your mum? Yeah, I would say my sisters particularly. I have four brothers and two sisters. And my sisters and my mum and I are all the same. We're all very creative. So we'd, you know, always be sewing our outfits and having big parties and making the decorations and, yeah, lots of creative things, particularly on the the sisters' side of the family for sure. Have they gone on to follow a career in some form of creativity as a result? Not really, not really. <laughs> my One sister's a nurse and one is an accountant, so not creative really, I would say. Um, but their hobbies are creative. Can I just dive into some of your mum's uh, wedding cakes? Because I understand it was royal icing. And why I'm curious is because I grew up in the 80s and my mum used to make these very intricate royal icing wedding cakes. And somehow they managed to survive in the kitchen with three kids who were all under 10, running around and they would stay there for like a few weeks as she was piping and creating these intricate works of art. Is that what your mum was uh, creating at the same time? It's definitely a trend, I think. <laughs> yes, yes, it was definitely in like the extension era when they used to pipe by hand all of the extension work. I remember her doing a lot of like writing in royal icing and then painting over it in gold and but also making a lot of sugar flowers. But those days they didn't have molds and cutters and I remember my mum cutting them out by hand with a knife and you know making her own cutters and using those but certainly didn't have any molds or anything like that. So very uh, labour intensive, very time consuming, intricate decorations, very different to what it is like now. Yeah I'm, I'm guessing that would have taken her weeks on end just to, oh, yeah. to make those cakes. Yeah I used to sit up at the bench and watch her for hours and hours and hours. Did you ever get to an age where you could help her in the business? Probably not. She sort of stopped doing it as I was getting older. She kind of got out of it when I sort of got to about 10, I think. Yeah, so probably too young to help her. But then, I mean, we always made, you know, we always made our siblings' birthday cakes and had big parties and things like that. So as a hobby, yes. You know, you've gone on to capture that creativity of what your mum was doing and turn that into your own business. But that didn't come to obviously quite a bit later. Can you tell us a bit about your own caking journey and and something to do with a friend's 21st birthday cake? Yeah, that's right. That's right. I made my first cake, would have been my friend's 21st. She played for the Canberra United soccer team and I made a very elaborate three-tier soccer cake. I had no idea what I was doing. There was no supports in it. It was shocking. I look back now and I think, oh, my God, I don't know how I got that to the venue without it collapsing. That kind of just started it for me. She was having trouble finding someone who would make the cake, and I thought, oh, I'll give it a go. I'll do that. I mean, I, you know, I can bake a cake. I can use fondant. I kind of remember how to do those things and made that cake, and everyone was like, oh, it's amazing. I look back now and I think that is literally the worst cake I've ever seen. <laughs> And I had a friend of a friend who was looking for someone to make a wedding cake. I thought, oh, yeah, I can do that. It was just cupcakes and, you know, a little seven-inch on the top. And, yeah, it just kind of went from there. And at this time, were you also juggling a career separate to this? So this was a hobby on the side. Can I ask about your career? Were you journalistic or did you do anything like that? 
I am actually an occupational therapist. I was working in a rehab hospital full time, started cake decorating on the side, started my business on the side. That idea to take on your friend's cake and then maybe a wedding cake. At that point, did you even know? Did you even think that, okay, well, maybe I, I should work on a new career? No, it was just a hobby, just because I liked doing it. Yeah, and obviously you spent a lot of years of training to become an occupational therapist. It's probably not something that you're about to just put to one side. No, no, definitely not. No. That's amazing. I mean, I love the, can I call it naive ambition, just to, you know, take on yeah, yeah. multiple tier cakes. Yeah, I can wedding cake, sure. No <laughs> wedding cakes. <laughs> you know, but then again, you've got to throw yourself into this. I assume that that sort of attitude and approach lends to the success of what you've been able to achieve today because you're not holding yourself back so much. Yeah, I would say I'm like that in in general with everything. I will give anything a go. I'm kind of a, you know, see what happens, it'll work out kind of person. It'll be fun. (laughs) It always works out. It does always work out. I, I think it's just really important to capture that because I feel like so many people are people who sit on the fence or they need someone else to push them towards that attitude. Because it is, it's a scary prospect for many people to make a change. I think that's the issue here, right? It's change is what people fear. But you don't seem to fear the change so much. And you're just happy to go with the ride and see where it ends up. Is that unique to you and your family? Or is that a common theme throughout? No, I would say that's all of my family are probably like that. Some more than others, but yeah, just sort of see what happens. <laughs> probably I'm probably the worst of it. I'm like, yeah, it'll be right, whatever. It'll work out. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lovely mantra because it means that you don't live a life of regrets, yeah, that yeah. you actually only focus on trying and don't worry about failure, which I think is what holds people back. I think the way I approach most things is I think of the worst case scenario and if I can deal with that in my head and have a plan okay that happens then this is you know I can work on that then anything else is a bonus when you have that attitude of let's just go and do it do you have the resistance though within yourself to go get outside help in terms of just saying I can do it myself I can do it myself it's fine it's fine do you struggle with that point of saying actually no I probably should bring someone in to help me or do something I used to struggle with that I used to try to do everything myself and now I have the most amazing team who I think I drive insane because I've always got these ideas. <laughs> and I was like, oh, we should do this. And they're like, oh, God, here we go again. No, but I have an amazing team now and I have that's been something that I've really worked on over the last, I would say, five years in stopping and realising that I don't need to do everything myself and other people generally can do it probably better than what I can So, yeah, definitely using that expertise in different areas. You know, when you're running your own cake business, you're majority on your own here, and it's quite hard to get additional help. But how many years into your uh, cake business did you realize that as a hobby, did you realize that, okay, I can't really do both careers anymore here, and I've got to make that switch? How did you deal with that? Good question. So... I was running my cake decorating business while I was working full-time. So going back to what we were talking about before, I probably made cakes as a hobby as an adult for maybe six months or so, and then everyone said, you should start a business, you should start a business. So I did. (laughs) So I was working full-time, making cakes. I wasn't making a huge amount, but I'd have three or four a weekend, like a fair amount. And then I 
fell pregnant and had twins. So that was sort of, well, it was the end, not the end. It was a pause in my career, my occupational therapy career. Then when I was on maternity leave, I went back to cake decorating. And I think that would be the point where I sort of thought, well, I need to do one or the other. But in saying that, I have swapped between the two over the last, well, my twins are 12 now. So over the last probably six years, I've kind of done a bit of both. I started ACDN when the twins were nine months old and I went back to occupational therapy when they were three. I've never run my cake decorating business really since I've had kids. I kind of went straight into doing starting ACDN and then I did a bit of both for quite a while and then in 2016 I finished occupational therapy. That was the point where I thought I'm not doing I'm I'm a total perfectionist and I wasn't doing either as well as I wanted to. So I had to make that decision at that point. Even now, like, you know, I'll do a casual day here and there at the hospital with their short staff. But in terms of my career focus now, it's ACDN, absolutely. Can I go back to the junction of when you had the twins and then making that decision, which was probably in the back of your mind after the birth of the twins and probably leading up to the birth of the twins, and how that felt because I think it's a really pivotal moment for a lot of particularly women um, when they're thinking about returning back to work and how they feel about letting go of one career to focus on their children or to think about a new career or a new start it's not always a very easy transition how was it for you Liz if you put yourself back at that time I tried to do everything So I had my newborn twins and I was still taking orders. You know, I get the twins to bed. I still think back now, I was absolutely crazy. I don't know what I was thinking. I would get the twins to bed, you know, at nine o'clock at night and then start baking a wedding cake. And then I'd be up until midnight and then the twins would be up and then I'd be decorating. Like it was an absolute nightmare. So I very quickly realised that it was not feasible to be having two little people that I needed to keep alive and happy and everything safe and everything else. And I've always been interested in, you know, running my own business. I've had a few creative businesses before this one. I think what led me into ACDN is that I realised at that point in time I couldn't take orders and be at the demands of other people when they needed their cakes. I needed something that I could do that fitted around my kids. And the answer for me in that was an online business that I could do, I guess, in my own time and, yeah, what worked around the children rather than the other way around. You know, if someone's got a wedding on Saturday, you have to have it done by then. So I, at that point, I thought this is not working for me and I can't see how it's going to work for me in the next few years. So I sort of thought about other businesses that might be the same, obviously in the same space, but would work better for my family. Did you know a lot of other home bakers at that time where you got these ideas to say, you know, it sounds like these people need some help? That's where the idea came from. I was so isolated. I didn't, I knew a couple of decorators in Canberra, um, which I'd kept up with a couple of times. But when I started ACDN, there weren't, like Facebook groups wasn't a thing. Facebook was not really, it had just started and Facebook groups had just started, but you know, now there's like 20,000 Facebook groups on Facebook. At the time, there was nothing. There was one forum in Australia, you know, the old school type forums, 
there was one and it shut down overnight. I think they had some issues with bullying or something and the whole forum completely shut. And this is where us decorators in Australia, it was it. That was the only support system apart from, you know, like CWA type, older generation groups. Nothing wrong with CWA. They're awesome. They got their place, but it's not, I guess, what I was looking for at that point in time. So one day this forum shut down. I felt like my lifeline had been cut off. The only people that I knew that loved cakes, breathed cakes, talked cakes all day long, my friends and family didn't care about cake decorating. Like I needed someone to talk to about that. So, yeah, Facebook groups were not a thing and I thought, oh, I'm going to start one. The other one shut down, I'm going to start my own. And so I did. I started the page, Australian Cake Decorating Network page. It wasn't a group at that time. Started the page, and I just remember waking up and there'd be 10,000 new followers a day. Like it was crazy, crazy. And I thought, hmm, I think that other people, obviously in Australia, need this as well. Well, what was your pitch though when you started the page? I mean, how did you position this? Like I was saying, groups were not really a thing. Like now, which sounds weird now, you'd say, oh, we'll just start a Facebook group. Like that's just obvious. But at the time, that wasn't, it didn't exist. So what I used to do is people used to message the page with their questions, their cake decorating questions. I would post them publicly on the page and then people would answer them. I mean, it kind of worked like a group, but there was a lot of manual. Like people would message me, I'd put it up and say, you know, a question from one of our followers. How do you do this with royal icing or whatever? And then everyone would comment on it. Oh, amazing. And you just did that overnight. And yeah, <laughs> you wake up the next morning and have 20 followers or 100? I remember being up one night and I was feeding my twins in the middle of the night. It was like three o'clock and I thought, I'm going to do that. Anyway, I did it that night because that's just my personality. I've got to do it right there. And then and it took a while to take off, but within a month or two, you know, there was tens of thousands of people. Very different social media than what it is now. Like, obviously, it's a lot harder to organically grow a page like that now. But they were the days of Facebook, you know, you'd wake up and it wouldn't be unusual to have 5,000, 10,000 people following. It was yeah, very different times. And as this page was starting to grow and get momentum and build a community, what were your aspirations for it? Because obviously it's creating this online page where people can come back and share ideas. But obviously it took a bit of time to to grow significantly. And during that period, were you thinking through business ideas and opportunities around this page? At the start, it was just a hobby. When I started, I didn't have any business plans for it, but I saw how quickly it was taking off and how much people loved it. It started with the membership. So people become a member, they get membership benefits, like they get discounted insurance, they get discounts at our preferred suppliers, they get 10 or 15% off. So it started with that, but that didn't come until... I want to say maybe six months after I started the Facebook page. So it was quite a while of it just being a hobby. Just, you know, it was fun. I love cake decorating. Everyone else loves cake decorating on my page. So I used to love doing it. Yeah. And then I guess it sort of started to tick and I thought, hmm, I probably should make this into my business. And yeah, started with the membership. That would have been about six months. Probably grew at the perfect time. If you had twins, you would have been very busy. And so in between those feeding schedules, you could actually just go in and update, manage, move some admin around. It probably not so labor intensive. And, and as the twins grew a bit older, it gave you a little bit more headspace to go, no, okay, I can do something more with this. And this is the challenge that I want because I can manage it at my pace as well and my schedule and my time. I was just going to say one day I had an idea and I still don't let my husband live this one down. 
I said to him, I want to do a cake camp. Like, I think that would be really fun. And he's like, cake camp. Who would want to go on a cake camp? No one's going to want to go on that. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I don't know about that. Anyway, so I put up, I did like this really cheesy graphic. Now I would do it nicely in Canva, but at the time, I don't know what I was using, probably paint or something stupid. And I made a graphic and I said, who wants to come on cake camp? It's going to be a weekend away in a resort. We're going to learn cake decorating, have champagne, have fun. And I had so many people comment on it, hundreds and hundreds of people, and it sold out straight away. And I'm like, ha, told you so, to my husband. <laughs> so that was just, I guess, something that, yeah, so it started with the membership and then gradually these other things, just an idea would come up. And I think, oh, yeah, that sounds fun. We'll do that. But I love that because it's almost a lot of people can, you can put too much planning around executing new ideas and and not actually implement immediately because you're worried about what it will look like and trying to think through all the logistics and you know, how are we going to make this happen and then you spiral and then you could spend six, 12 months planning that without what actually sounds like what you did was like, actually, I'm going to go out to the community immediately and just make something as a template and let's see if there is an interest. And if there is, we'll implement it and execute on it. I just like that because it's very refreshing as well. It's, it's actually just go for it. Go trust your community and trust your gut feeling as well. Yeah. And I think by that time I'd built such a great community. Our members are amazing and we're all very like-minded. We're all, we all have common goals and, and get along together in the same kind of way. Like there, there's no bitchiness and there's none of that. Yeah. Yeah. Occasionally there is. Every group obviously has that. But the core culture of ACDN is friendly and networking and fun and have a bit of a laugh and it's not too serious. It's fun. So I generally do that. You know, if I've got a new idea, I'll go, hey, guys, what do you think about this? And it'll be crickets or it'll be, yeah, I'm coming. Like, you know, you very quickly I've, I've learnt to, I guess, trust my community and get that feedback before I'll go and plan the whole event and then, you know, it's not what they want. That was probably a lesson that I learnt fairly early on is to use the community and create the business offerings around what they want, not what I think they want. Like just ask them, what do you want? What events do you want? Do you want Cape Camp? Do you want Cape Crawl? You know, we've been to amazing places. We've been to the UK and we've been to New York and sort of putting it out there and asking them what they want. Do you think that had you not had the in-person aspect of the business where people can meet up in person, do you think it would have accelerated at the same pace and built that same, fostered that same community? No, definitely not. The in-person has been invaluable to ACDN, particularly in the early days. I think starting something like this, people were like, oh, what are you trying to achieve? People in the beginning were saying, oh, you're trying to regulate the industry and, you know, you're trying to do this and that. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not really an interest of mine. I mean, obviously I think people should be registered, but that's not a rabbit hole I'm going to go down. But we have had some incredible in-person experiences, which I think really cemented what ACDN's about, what our culture is, how we interact with our members and also the wider community. There's no way that ACDN would be what it is now without those in-person experiences. I think that's, yeah, the core of ACDN. I can only relate for myself. I haven't been to a cake camp. I'd love to. But in the corporate world that we had previous corporate careers, you know, we we had sales events where we all came together and in various locations around the world. I took Rach to a couple of mine and just get people in a room together for a couple of days 
and things happen, you know, relationships build and the sharing occurs and any of that competitive type behavior sort of drops a little bit because you now know the real person. And then the transformation from before to after in terms of being able to then email or text or call someone that you've met already in person and, and get some help and support. That's the part where really you benefit, right? Because now you genuinely know these people. You haven't just met them online. Couldn't agree more. It's so important, that connection in person. Yeah, it's a, it's an amazing thing to experience. It's trying to capture that and, and pitch that message, I think, to get more members to understand like, the value of going. But if they just want to go anyway on a trip, because it's such a unique concept. Well, exactly. And now we find our Cape Camp. So we had our last Cape Camp in July and there were 80 cake decorators that came. Some of the classes sold out in 19 minutes. Like it was nuts, absolutely nuts. The whole event sold out in less than three hours. It was all people that wanted to be there, mostly for the social aspect. Like the classes were amazing. But when I went around on the event and asked people, you know, why were you so keen to come? Because I haven't seen Jenny in 12 months or I haven't seen Kate in three years. You know, like that core group of people that come to the events, they knew they were coming, yep, I'm going to go. Or they've heard, we probably had 50% new people that hadn't been on an event and they had heard stories of Kate Camp or Kate Crawl and they wanted to, I guess, get in on that and have those connections with other members and meet people on, you know, in real life that they've been speaking to during COVID for the last three years. A lot of the events is is connection rather than what they're actually learning in terms of cake spreading. You've built and you're nurturing this wonderful community that I think has been neglected for so long. And there's been a community that's just been on its own and it's very isolating the work that we do anyway. And so to come together, I mean, social media is one part, at least it is recognized that there's other cake makers around the world and you can reach out and have a chat. But to come together in all these various different style of events that you have set up, whether it's Cake Camp or your awards night or Cake Crawl, which looks incredibly exciting, are pivotal moments to also recognize in the cake industry as well and give back to everyone. Your Cake Awards that I know are coming up this weekend, and I don't want to jump too far ahead, but just to give that recognition to cake makers and also create an aspirational aspect as well. Like, oh, you know, I can keep getting better and better, better, and perhaps I'll get recognized, not by the number of followers, but just by my style of cakes that I'm putting out. You know, when I first got into cakes when back in 2000, and 18, I looked to Australia and I saw what you were doing right then at that time. We were in Singapore, so Australia came up quite a lot. I went to some cake courses in Australia too. And just you're so far ahead, the cake industry, and what you have pioneered, Liz, is incredible. I'm so excited for these award nights. On I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> Who's going to no, win? <laughs> it's such an honour, I think for people to be recognised by their peers, by the judges, for what they're doing. Like you said, it's such a socially isolating industry, it can be, when you work at home by yourself all day long, to be able to then go out to an event where there's all these like-minded people and, like you said, people recognise you for your work or you're known as, you know, that buttercream technique, that piping technique or those flowers. or And then we've got judges from all over the world who are looking at all of our finalists' work and all the nominees' work and then choosing a winner and... They should be very proud of themselves. That's a pretty cool thing to be acknowledged by not only your industry peers in Australia, but also judges from around the world. 
as you were building ACDN, you know, the first few, let's talk about the first few years of building a business. I mean, yes, you have the momentum of the people, but that's just one aspect of running a business, obviously, is this the customer base. You've got everything else that you're trying to sort out on the other end, and they're giving you ideas or you're asking for what they want. When it came to the content to create, were you relying on other members to fill that information so that you could simply share it? Or were you finding ways and sharing ways yourself to create through classes or materials, documentation, something that would assist? How did you balance that? So before I started the paid membership, I would just share whatever I liked online. You know, this is a cake made by Jenny or whoever. Um, and then a main part of the membership when it first launched was that they would have their work shared on our page. So I would then obviously have content from hundreds of people and uh, still to this day I have a spreadsheet of all of the members in order of when they joined and we cycle through it so that everyone gets shared evenly throughout the year. Yeah, so obviously all, all of the content pretty much, apart from our advertising, you know, our events and our, and our advertisers, um, all of the other content is member-generated content. And how many years were you doing everything yourself? <laughs> Too many. Way too many. Because <laughs> it's not just twins. You've got four kids. It's like, so two, two more came along. <laughs> yeah, along the way, just to make your life harder. I did everything in ACDN until I had a couple of VAs, but they were offshore VAs, which have their place, but I did not find it very helpful. My business completely changed when I got a local VA who lives in the same town as me. Amy is her name. She's an absolute angel. Unfortunately, she has now left me and started her own business. Just for the sake of our audience, just explain what the role of a BA for you would be. Yeah, so a VA for me, Amy, when she first started, she would contact our advertisers. So we have an online magazine and say, for example, she's, she'd email one of our, our advertisers and say, your ad is due for the magazine. Can you please send it in by this date? Um, she would answer all of the email inquiries from members. You know, I've lost my, I don't know, my login or yeah. where do I find this? Uh, when am I going to be shared? Can you not share that picture? Can you share that picture instead? Um, updating the website, doing mail outs, helping with events, all of those sorts of things. Yeah. All the stuff that just takes up all your time. Yeah. And then I didn't have time to think of the creative sides of the business because I was so busy doing the admin stuff. So I had Amy start with me just before my daughter was born. So 20, don't you love that? Mum's like, they always like, this happened because my daughter was this old. Or, <laughs> uh, 2019, end of 2018, Amy started with me. Wow, so quite a few years. Yeah. So you would run the magazine on your own as well? Sorry, going back a bit, I did have some people that helped me run the magazine, yes. Oh. Yeah. So I've had people along the way, all VAs. Some have come, some have gone. I've still got some of the original ones. For little bits and pieces, like I'd have someone that would help and still now helping with the events. So when Kate Crawl comes around every one to two years, that person will help me with that. I had someone who helped me with each issue of the magazine. But in terms of having someone permanently helping across all of ACDN, that would have been when Amy started in yeah, 2017, 2018. That's amazing. I want to talk about cupcake boxes, especially if you need room for tall ones or floral cupcakes. There's never really been a cupcake box on the market that gave you the confidence to safely transport them without damaging them. 
nor has there been anything that makes it easy to place or remove cupcakes without ruining those pretty decorations until now. The Olba cupcake box fixes all these issues. Plenty of height, strong, and a gorgeous cupcake box that opens fully into a built-in serving tray. No mess, no fuss, no cupcake teeth, and no damage. Even your customers will appreciate just how easy it is to open the box and serve right from the tray. Check them out at www.olba.shop. Was it hard to find, Amy? I went through a lot of offshore VAs who just didn't work for me. And then, yeah, I just found Amy in the small town that we live in and she just left her corporate career and was starting a VA business. And, yeah, I met her at the coffee shop and perfect. That's really good. I, I think it's important to point out from what you're saying here is doing everything on your own can get you only to a point. Yes, absolutely. There is so much value in hiring somebody to do something and freeing up your more valuable time to go do something else because yeah. you'll never get that time back. That's right. And like I was saying before, sometimes they're better at it than you are. <laughs> so now I have lots of VAs. I think there's six of us now. I've got six VAs now. Um, and they all do different parts. So I've got a couple of uh, event coordinators, Sydney and Melbourne. I've got someone who solely works on Kate TV, someone who solely does the courses. Like I've sort of got VAs for different components of the business now. And that has come about in the last four years I've really grown the team in the last four years and I think that's really a COVID thing because I mean ACDN has multiplied in the different streams that I'm offering since COVID so I had to have more people before it was just I shouldn't say just but it was memberships and events now I'm doing memberships events courses online workshops you know lots of other things that I wasn't doing pre-COVID so now I do have quite a few VAs that help with different aspects of the business. Would you say COVID was the biggest catalyst for the business to change so much and diversify? Or did, were things happening before that? It was COVID. Things were happening before that, but COVID for me was probably that turning point or wake-up call. Did I want to do occupational therapy? Did I want to do ACDN? What am I going to do? And I think at that point, it was a bit of a... I pick up the bum probably to go, okay, it's not a hobby. Pull your finger out and actually do it properly. <laughs> it was kind of a, um, I guess, a wake-up call that everything can be taken away. Like all of these businesses during COVID, the start of COVID, it was scary, as everyone knows, who runs a small business. And it was really a wake-up call. Like, okay, I've got all these members. I know what they need. All of these ideas that I had sort of ticking along beforehand that I just didn't do, I did them during COVID. Because I had to, from a financial point of view, but also things had changed. One main thing that I started was the business lounge. So that was an idea that I had a couple of years before COVID. And it's providing a higher level of support for our members who are running businesses. So not all of our members run businesses. We have a lot of hobbyists. But this is a separate membership. Every month, people, we get in some guest experts every month and they will present a different topic. So our members in the business lounge get topics on legals, terms and conditions, pricing, um, paying yourself a wage, you know, social media marketing, photography, like all of these business workshops that they needed. And I knew that they needed that, but it wasn't until COVID happened that I thought, you know, if I'm not going to do it now, like this is when the members need 
for business support. So mm-hmm. I guess it was kind of a wake up call of different things that I should have been doing and wanted to do and just actually going, yep, I'm going to do it. Probably a fair bit of fight or flight going on there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you were juggling many balls as well. So if you were still, you had all the ACDN work and then you were occupational therapist. Don't forget all the kids at home. The home life, I'm sure with your husband as well, but just a a massive juggle that probably feeling that you're not, you know, focusing on one thing and doing it really, really well. Um, What was that thing to focus in on that you're probably juggling and managing and maintaining, but there's only that extra hour that you might have, which means that you have one hour less sleep to focus in on and try and deliver on, on one extra thing. Yeah. I think a lot of things came about at the start of COVID. And I remember one of my very good friends in the industry saying to me, she's one of our, I guess, a sponsor, you call her. And I have always been, I sort of look at ACDN as pre-COVID and post-COVID. Pre-COVID, I was always very worried what other people would be thinking or, you know, I'd feel like I need that person's approval of what I was doing in a way, like not not really, but I'd kind of always in the back of my mind thinking, oh, what would this person think about what I'm doing? And I remember having a conversation with this person one day and she said, just your only focus should be your members. Like who cares what that store thinks of what you're doing on that course or who cares what that person? You've got, you know, these heaps of members, just focus on them. Make all of your business decisions based around your members and what your members need and what. And that was really the turning point, I think, for ACDN. When I actually took the time at the start of COVID, worked out what members want, what they need, the position that I'm in to deliver that to the members, like kind of put your blinkers on and stop worrying about what all is going on out here and just to go, okay, well, I've got... 1500 members now like they're obviously joining ACDN because of something I'm doing right so focusing on them and what they want has been a huge turning point I think ACDN. Did you ever lean on outside mentors for yourself from a business perspective or a personal perspective life coach things like that? Yeah I had a business coach this was pre-COVID which was really really helpful completely out of the industry he actually owned bookshops, so completely nothing to do with cake decorating. But it was really helpful to, he was also an accountant, so to go through and think of it from a business point of view and all of the things I was doing, making sure that I wasn't doing activities from an emotional point of view and actually looking at it from a business point of view. Was there like a trigger point where you said to yourself, I need to go talk to somebody and help me? Yeah, this was when I decided whether I was going to do OT or whether I was going to do ACDN. It was kind of at that same... I had a feeling it might be at that. That's the critical juncture in your in your career, right? Definitely. So when I was working as an occupational therapist, I was allied health manager at quite a large rehab facility. So I had a lot of allied health team members. It was a very busy role. And I was trying to do that and ACDN at the same time. It just wasn't working. I was probably doing fine at both, but myself, I felt like I wasn't doing either properly. So then when I decided I'm going to focus solely on ACDN, that's when it really changed and I did it really more as a business rather than a hobby. I mean, I was running it as a business, obviously, but that's when my focus changed for sure. Yep, and that's when I got the business coach and thought, I'm going to do this properly. Yep. And you must have hit burnout several times, I'm guessing, Liz, to have these two very big roles and Mm. um, demands from the family as well that... 
you must have gone through several times where you're just like, I cannot do this or just exhaustion or yep. just lying on the couch or bed or and going through tears and emotion and then you just pick yourself back up again and keep going, right? I would say probably two main times I can definitely think of. One is at that fork in the road where I had to decide what I was going to do and at the same time my husband and I packed up the house and the kids and bought a caravan and went around Australia for 12 months and that was awesome. Oh, this is amazing. <laughs> we can have a podcast on this. <laughs> <laughs> I still worked and I still ran ACDN. And so like when I'd get to, I got to Adelaide and, and flew back to Melbourne for an event and then got to Perth and flew back to, so I was doing work along the way, but just that space and that less stress. I don't know if you're a caravaner, but I love caravanning. It's just chilling out, hanging out with the family, going to the beach. Yes, I was still working, but I had that space to I don't know. I feel like the more space I have, the more creative ideas I have. It's a change of scene, yes. right? Getting away from all the the daily routine and the, the, also a lot of the mundane of like the washing, the everything else that goes on. What we're going to eat tonight? Yeah. And actually being in a, a new place, moving around, it, it would fuel that creativity. I'm sure all of us feel that when we go on holiday, we feel like this new sense of person and these new goals and things that we're going to go off and achieve. And yeah, that was definitely the the first burner. I mean, I I was effectively doing two full-time jobs at the same time. I was, Mm. you know, allied health manager and then running ACDN. Like it was crazy. I look back now and I think, what was I thinking? I had three kids who were (laughs) under four and running it was nuts, absolutely nuts. Like I wouldn't do that to myself now. I, I, I feel like I've grown a lot as a person since then and am more sure of myself as a person and a business owner. Like I would never put myself in that position now. It was crazy. I look back and I think, what was I doing? <laughs> we probably had to get to the, that point of burnout to actually listen because I'm sure people were telling you along the way. Yes. But sometimes you have to get to that point where you're, you're in that headspace where you are willing to listen and say. Yeah, absolutely. Hear that advice and it comes at that right right time and that right moment. Yeah. You said you did previous businesses along the way. Did any of those teach you anything that you could apply to how you were running your life at that point in time from a business perspective or was it all new learnings? No, it was all new. I had a couple of smaller businesses, like all, all creative, handmade kids' clothes and things like that. But oh, I, I would say they never left the hobby stage. That was, you know, just a bit of fun on the weekend. Yeah. I didn't learn any business skills from them, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> After you did make that fork in the road and that decision with ACDN going all in, Mm. how then did your mindset shift as well? So obviously beforehand you were going out to work in the hospital. So now you're back more home-based and building a team, uh, an environment. What routine did you put in place to help you stay on track? Because when you're working from home, it's very easy to get sidetracked and think about doing this, doing that, etc. Yeah. So how did you organize your life and your week to stay fully motivated on ACDN? That's a very hard question and I don't feel like I've fully achieved that yet. (laughs) I probably just set aside and this is what I do now. So all of my, my three eldest sons are all at primary school. So that makes it obviously easier. And my daughter is in preschool two days a week. So I've always had sort of two days a week when either they were at daycare or preschool and they're like my work days. So I will sit down on those days and I swear I get like 
as much as a normal person would get done in probably three days. I'm like, no one's allowed to talk to me. No one, I turn my phone off, you know, like I'm, I don't leave my desk for the entire day. Like I get as much done as I can in those two days. And then apart from that, I don't know, I just do it when I can. It's not very great. I think that's probably what has led to burnout over the times. You know, I'll be cooking dinner and I'll be writing emails at the same time. And I've been really bad at that throughout periods of the business, but I'm much better at that now because I did go through a period just after COVID where I was like, I'm done. Like, this is crazy. I've got four kids and I'd be trying to cook dinner and I'd be writing emails or I'd be messaging this person. And it was just, I had to put in place boundaries. These are my work days. You know, I turn my computer off at 5 p.m. I'm not using social media on the weekends. You know, like I'm put in place quite strict boundaries around that to try and just, I guess, preserve that distance between the two. Can you share the what you think are the results of doing that? Because I think a lot of people might be listening to that and going, I just don't know how that's possible and still maintain some sense of productivity. But can you give us the flip side of what happens when you put those boundaries in and what that does for you? I am so much more productive when I have those boundaries in place because I don't resent it. I don't resent work. I get to work, my office, which is right in our house. But the next day on my work day, I am so motivated. I get all everything done because I've had that time off. Like I've gotten to the point now where I actually remove the email app from my phone so that if I'm not working, I can't check my emails 10 times a day and you know, I'm not replying to um, messages and things because the other thing that I have difficulty with is that all of the girls that work for me are also my friends. So, you know, I'll be messaging them and go, hey, what are you doing on the weekend? And then all of a sudden we're planning the next event and it's 11 o'clock at night and then my brain ticks over all night long and I don't sleep. I do probably go MIA quite a bit on my friends a bit. I'm a very social person, but I do sometimes I can feel it coming. I think, no, nah, this weekend I'm not even going to open Facebook the whole weekend. Like I'm just stepping back from that. And to answer your question, the more time, I think this is probably a creative thing. A lot of people that I speak to about this in the creative industry, the more time they have off work, the more productive they are. My business is different to all of my members' business. They've got to, you know, they're making cakes. They have to be in there. But a lot of what I'm doing is coming up with new ideas or thinking about what decorators I'm going to use for this event and, you know, planning out in my in my head what we're doing throughout the year, what event's going to be next, what I'm going to do here and there. So I find like if I go out in the garden and I'm out there for a couple of hours planting and whatever I'm doing, I have the best business ideas. Like if I'm sitting down at my computer, I can't think of anything like that. So I feel like the more, <laughs> the more time I have off, I know it sounds like counterintuitive, but the more time I have off work, the better my work is. It, it makes perfect sense to me because you're problem solving and problem solving needs space to think about that and ruminate those ideas. And, and, and probably when you're at least doing something that's familiar or touching something, whether it's baking or gardening or doing or just being out in nature, those ideas will come to you when you give yes. give it space. Like how you get in the shower and you think, oh, that's yeah. so obvious. Yes. That's what I've got to do. <laughs> Sometimes when I'm out walking the dog, I come back to half and I'll Most say, the first thing. oh, I've got a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it, it's very, very interesting what you're talking about with boundaries. I, I know a lot of our listeners and ourselves included are running businesses from home and there is a family 
or there's a juggle or you're balancing another business on the side. And I do feel like they all eat into each other. And it's definitely something that I think half and I need to think about as well. But it's definitely a struggle when you've got finite amount of time and you want to deliver so much. And then, yeah. like you say, it's uh, the emails, it's the social media, it's the, uh, we should need to get this out, we need to get this out. But actually, most days, you can actually wait a day or two, but there is this pressure. Yes. I don't know where it comes from, but it's always at the back of your mind. It comes from within. The only pressure is, and that's what I found, is I'm such a perfectionist. And I got to the point where I realised, like, no one's going to know if I don't send out that email today. Like I could send it out in two weeks and they're not going to know it was meant to come out today. They wouldn't know. The only person that knows is me. Like who cares? They're not going to care. But it takes a while to get to that point. But I think to go back and answer that your question from before, the turning point came when I got staff and got that help. Mm. So now I have so much better balance because if I go, okay, we really need to get that email out, I don't have to leave whatever I'm doing with the kids and come into the office and do it. I will message or email one of my staff and say, hey, can you do this tomorrow? Like, I'll just do a list. Can you do this tomorrow? And then I know it's done. Like, I can just go, yep, that's ticked off. Obviously, there's an expense that comes with that. But for me, the expense is well outweighed by the productivity that I get out of it. And the oh, sure. keeping myself sane and being able to continue and not burning out is so worth it. You know, one of the easiest ways you can relate this to a cake maker is that possibility of just hiring somebody for two or three hours a week to come in and clean the kitchen, right? Your yes. value, your time is worth more than it is to spend on someone cleaning a kitchen. Absolutely. And so if that gives you the time to go for a two-hour lunch with a friend and just decompress and then come back feeling a little bit fresher or have some time on your own to go for a walk or read a book or do something different that's not related to your business that you think about 24-7, it might unlock something in your brain as a creative person that gives you that idea yeah. because someone else taking care of the cleaning just for two hours a week. Yeah, and people do look at like that, which I understand. People say, oh, that's an expense that I can't bear. Like I, don't, I can't afford that. But the flip side of that is that if you don't do that, you'll burn out and then you won't have a business. Like how can you afford that? Yeah. In my mind, you're much better off paying for the cleaner and having a sustainable business that you enjoy doing. You'll be more productive because you'll be actually wanting to work, <laughs> not resenting it. Exactly. Just that feeling of walking into a cleaned kitchen ready to start work, right? That's right. And you didn't have to do it all day. Or it can be anything. It can be invoices or, you know, doing your reconciling, your banking and, you know, that, there's plenty of things you can outsource. Absolutely. There's no, there's no question at all. Technology is also making that so much easier in many ways for you to do yeah. so many things. Like you mentioned Canva earlier, you know, what a great example of a tool that's, if you're not a illustrator, graphic designer, so on and so forth for, you know, a few dollars a month, you can sort of become one to get you to do some simple things like even create those little, you know, allergy cards that you might want to stick on your cake box or something. You yes. don't necessarily have to go hire someone to do that. You can yeah. make it yourself. You channel that creative energy into something else for a little bit before you bring it back to cake. It's quite an interesting um, approach. But um, we're coming up to the end of our time. So what we like to do here is we like to finish on a few rapid fire questions. But however, for you, we're going to have to go back to when you were baking. To do this, so you're gonna to have to dig Long deep. Time ago, but yeah. <laughs> Can I just ask, do you still bake as an outlet, Liz? I mean, as a creator outlet. I do. I love baking. Okay. I love baking. 
Yeah. When I get overwhelmed and can feel that burnout coming on, I go and bake. That's really good. Like you know, you can see it coming. I, I think that's what's really impressive. You've trained yourself to understand what burnout looks like. Yeah, and I can, I know having been there, the impact that it has not only you as a person but your business. And I know how important it is not to get to that point because it's so detrimental. And your family too, right? Oh, absolutely. What do you like to bake these days, Liz? Usually, just things for the kids for their lunch boxes, which they love. And I love, you know, they come home from school and I've got nice warm cupcakes ready for them. They love that. Oh, <laughs> Make them feel good as a mum sometimes. <laughs> they can't. I'm not doing this email anymore. I'm going to go bake some cookies. <laughs> I, I think that's where most of us as cake makers started, though. It was actually the joy of baking, creating, and oh, then absolutely. eating or sharing with others and seeing their enjoyment. That makes you want to keep going back and doing it and getting better at it. That's so true. There's such joy. I, I know also when our kids come back and especially, well, they're a little bit uh, picky about what they like, but if it's chocolate cake, then Oof. it's like, oh, yeah. wow, mom's made the best chocolate cake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. If I do go pick them up at school with a couple of cupcakes in my pocket, even with no decoration on it, right? They're just fresh out of the oven with nothing on it. They're still like over the moon. Yeah. It's incredible. <laughs> All right. First thing that comes to mind, you can explain it or you don't have to explain it. I'm going to go first. Okay. American buttercream, Swiss meringue buttercream, fondant or ganache, any preference? Oh, I would have to say ganache and fondant because that's what I grew up with. That's what I, sorry, I didn't grow up with that because that wasn't around when mum was decorating, but that's what I started my business on, ganache and fondant. Buttercream wasn't really that big here until more recently, but now I would have to say Swiss meringue buttercream. Okay. Mm. Love it. Excellent. That's so interesting. Uh, one aspect of baking you won't compromise on. This is coming from a perfectionist now. So, oh, um, I would say the finish on fondant. Got to be perfect. Oh, interesting. So, no cracks or edges or no. perfectly blended. Yep. Which is something that us Aussies do really well. Sorry to all the Americans watching, but we (laughs) (laughs) love our American members and our American friends. But I feel like, and also those of you in the UK, we love you all, but I feel like Australia (laughs) leads the way in perfect fondant finishes, sharp edges, sharp corners, Mm. none of the rounded, any of that sharp, perfect. Uh, Let's see if this riles up some people and get some (laughs) social media is going to go crazy. You guys are catching on, but I feel like, like, yeah, Aussies are pretty good at the fondant. (laughs) I mean, you know, to be honest, I think one third of our guests on this podcast come from Australia. Yeah, right. Easily, easily. I feel like all of the different... um, Countries definitely have different styles. Like you can really pick what, not that they're good or bad, but I feel like you can pick a cake from the UK versus a cake from America versus a cake from Australia. Yeah. Yeah. Australia, always clean edges, sharp. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Dark clean. Yeah. Yeah. Less fuss, less decoration. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just thinking like, don't tell Charles and just like that that style. (laughs) (laughs) But also that, just get on with it, you know, just go, just go do it sort of attitude, (laughs) I think. Yeah, yeah. that's an Aussie thing. It harks back to, definitely has that uh, impression. Um, You'll be right. (laughs) Okay, there's a sidetrack here. A baking book from your bookshelf. Oh, Peggy Portion. Oh. Without a doubt. 
Really? I was not expecting that you were Rachel so went to one of her courses in London. Yeah, we met up with her on our UK Kate Crawl when we went to London. She was probably the person that really got me into cake decorating. Amazing. Yeah. My sister used to live in London and we went and saw her a couple of times when I went to visit her. But, then, yeah, we had a class with her. Finally got to actually meet her in person when I organised the, the cake crawl to the UK. But, yeah, Peggy Fortune for sure. What class did you do? Was it the Royal Ison or? She did a private class with us um, making sugar flowers. Oh, wow. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. Very, very cool. Excellent. Um, who would you want to make your next birthday cake? Uh, my friend, Karen Stack. She's my cake decorator. So she's a cake decorator in Melbourne. And if you look up her work, Lick the Bowl in Melbourne, she is insane. If you think that Aussies make straight, clean edges, Karen is like, <laughs> it literally looks like it's photoshopped. Like she will sit there with a tape. I've seen her. She sits there with a, like a tape measure and measures that things are straight, like she's next level. Yeah, oh, she's wow. my go-to cake decorator. Karen Stack, Lick the Bowl. Is her Instagram just Lick the Bowl? Lick the Bowl, yeah. Excellent. Oh, I love it. It's amazing. I'll have to go look at that one. So she made our 10th birthday ACDN cake last year for our birthday party. She doesn't know it, but she's going to be making my 40th birthday cake for next year. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't asked her yet, but I'm sure she will. Oh, Karen oh, did she I'm did. sure you'll get Benny from all your community. You'll be inundated. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Exactly. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> That's very cool. Well, listen, we really appreciate your time. You know, this will go out after your awards show that's about to come this weekend which in Sydney which uh, sorry to say we can't make it but um, I'd love to be there maybe one of these years we can come down it'd be amazing to come see but literally thank you so much it's been such a pleasure to talk to you and give us your insight into you and what really motivates you to succeed it's been fascinating thank you it's been really nice to talk to you both it's also nice to stop and actually think about these questions too like often you don't I don't know, you just kind of keep going in business, but sometimes it's nice to stop and reflect and realise what are the pivotal moments and, yeah. Yeah. they good. Yeah. You never really stop to pat yourself on the back or anything like that. Yeah. Thank you so much, Liz. Much appreciated. Thank you. Take care. That wraps up episode 35 and also wraps up season four of My Baking Journey. I hope you really like that one. Check out the show notes to learn more about Liz and what she's doing at the amazing Australian Cake Decorating Network. We will be back. So if you want to be notified when the next episode comes back for season five, hit that subscribe or follow button on your podcast app. And if you need tall cake boxes, luxury cupcake boxes, you know where to go. Go to olba.shop and you'll find everything you need. Don't forget our free ebook the five ways to grow your cake business is also available to download from our website. We have a whole ebook collection that you can go and listen to, but start with that first one. It's free. What have you got to lose? All right. Take care, everybody. And we'll talk to you soon.